You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al Sayed, and this week's show is brought to you by 28 South. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts to learn from their career journeys as professionals in their fields. Tune in every week on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the advice of these professionals. And remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section. Today's guest is Maheen Sayed. As a wife, mom, and first-year medical student, Maheen is passionate about helping women pursue higher education and recognize the support systems around them. Assalamu alaikum, Maheen. How are you? Malikum salam. I'm good. Thank you, Fatima. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you today um, <laughs> and in spirit of uh, International Women's Day as well. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the case. But yeah, I'm excited to be here and answer your questions and hopefully provide some good advice for your listeners. I'm sure you will. Um, So let's start with a little bit background about you. Sure. Um, So tell us a bit about how you what inspired you to get into the medical field? You have a very long, long way of we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about your inspiration first. Um, so it is, it is, as you mentioned, it's quite a, quite a bit of a long winding road um, mm-hmm. that took me to med school. But um, initially, and this is the case, I'm sure, for many um, people that end up pursuing medicine as a career. For me, you know, I, growing up, I never considered medicine, even remotely, it never entered my mind. I always thought I would go into law or business of some sort. Uh, but then when I was um, a senior in high school, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, it was a very aggressive form of breast cancer. She passed away very quickly within so seven sorry. to eight months. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and so that kind of was my initial, um, I guess, impetus to sort of start considering medicine as a career. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened. And I just started, um, I saw these doctors and, and many of them were just wonderful. And they were so um, open and so warm. And they really, um, I guess, impacted me more than I thought that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just sort of thought about that and I felt, you know, this is somewhere that I want to be where I can kind of be on the other side mm-hmm. and, and provide families with that, um, that warmth and that reassurance yeah. and, and whatever capacity, because obviously I don't know what kind of doctor I want to be just yet. Yeah. Um, so that did that's you, kind of what started. Yeah. Did you immediately feel that push towards medicine or did it take you a while until you realized um, that, you know, I do no. want this? Actually, it certainly wasn't immediate. I, I still started college. Um, I had taken a year off. Um, I was mm-hmm. taking care of my mom, so I've taken a year off. Um, I still started college being a political science major, and I was taking all my poli-sci classes, and I loved mm-hmm. those. They were very fascinating. But then I was also taking chem and bio because it was required um, just by our college. And I, I kind of got to like sophomore year, and I realized all my classes were science classes, and I had no more political science classes <laughs> left. And yeah, so I sort of was... I, had, I took a step back and I thought to myself, wait, what's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it sort of was, I guess, um, I guess it sort of just felt compelled and I just kind of yeah. was pulled that way. You just and sort then, of fell into it without realizing. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. from like that point onwards, when I had consciously realized and, and decided this is what I wanted to do, um, then everything from then onwards was a, a deliberate decision or a deliberate step mm-hmm. that I took to um, help me get to medical school or help me, um, I guess, like build my resume to get to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And you did your MCAT twice. So tell us about <laughs> the first time. <laughs> oh God, I did my MCAT twice. I did the first time I took it in college. Um, I just after I'd finished. Um, so I had everything fresh in my mind and I, and I took it and it was great. 
Um, and there was an essay portion back when I took it the first time, which mm -hmm. everybody dreaded, but, um, you know, it was, it was not very difficult to study. I studied like two months after, um, school had ended and I just took it. Um, second time that I took it, I was actually working full time. I was married. Um, it was Ramadan. <laughs> and so I was, I was, I had to study for six months just to be able to kind of get through the material mm -hmm. and just to make sure that I had, you know, gotten through it sufficiently because I was working and I did have other responsibilities. Yeah. Um, but I, I took the MCAT and I did well enough to get in. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it, but the second time around the MCAT was very different. Uh, they changed the format. They had changed, mm -hmm. Um, there was no more essay, thank God. <laughs> so yeah, um, I took it twice. <laughs> I actually applied to med school twice too. Yeah, and um, the first time you did it, you 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 did pass, right? I, I yeah, I passed. Mm. I got in, but then um, actually, it was um, it was in October, November, the, the year that mm. we were applying and getting in, and because it's it's a very long process. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually shadowing with um, one of the doctors that I had worked with, and um, I was on a weekend um, ICU. Uh, I guess I was going to rounds with her and there was, yeah. they're very sick people in the ICU, of course. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we saw some very sick people and I immediately realized that, oh no, I'm not emotionally ready for this because mm -hmm. I guess it had been too soon after my mom had passed away. How many years after? Um, this was, oh gosh, I want to say, um, this was three years, three years after okay. she passed away. This is 2008. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was, it, it seemed I guess sufficient amount of time um, I hadn't thought about it at all actually when I was mm -hmm. in the whole application process but um, then being exposed to patients that were very sick um, I realized no you know um, I need to be emotionally ready because as much as medicine is about being academically ready um, you do have to have a certain level I believe of em emotional maturity simply because you are going to be dealing with very sick people um, mm -hmm you're going to be dealing with a lot of um, heavy illnesses, even when you're just in the learning process with the first two years, you're just sort of learning and um, doing the preclinical um, education, you still yeah. have some exposure. So for me, that was really important. So I took a step back um, at that point. And it's very hard to take a step back from something that's so yeah. it's something that you feel I can't pause, <laughs> I can't stop, you know, I need to keep going because this is yeah. how people usually do it. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. I felt that pressure a lot. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, you know, my, my dad was very supportive. Um, he understood. I was like, you know, I'm just not ready for this now. He said, that's totally fine. It's your life. You have to do what you feel is best. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, I, I heard a lot of like, oh, but if you'd started med school by now, you would have been finished by now. If you'd you started by now. Yeah. And I heard that a lot. And, um, you know, and that's just because I think people don't quite understand. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's just something that you kind of have to deal with in any aspect of your life people telling you what they think you should be doing <laughs> yeah so um, no, but it's yeah, very healthy that. that you were able to stop and take that step back and realize that in order to help others I need to be able to be okay for myself yeah and that's actually um I think I think what helped was having been on the other side like having mm -hmm. having been with my mom and the other side um I realized how important it is for the physicians to actually be present and to be yeah. um not emotionally invested but you know, are clearly compassionate and clearly mm -hmm. um, invested in their patients as more than just an illness. Yeah. And so um, I, I certainly did not want to end up as a physician that wasn't able to do that or wasn't able mm -hmm. to provide that for my patients, even if it was going to be eight years down the line. Um, you still have to get through that medical education. You still yeah. have to get through. And I just wasn't sure I'd be able to do justice to that mm -hmm. at that point in my life. 
but you didn't stop your studies. You still went uh, and continued down another path. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I actually um, started exploring other options. Um, I knew I wanted to stay in the sciences because by the by this point, I had fallen in love with science completely. Um, and so I actually went on to get my master's in biochem from Georgetown. And mm-hmm. after that, I kind of toyed with the idea of going on to do my PhD. But then this opportunity presented itself where... I was going to be working to develop um, monoclonal antibody therapeutics, which are used mostly. <laughs> yeah, what are those? Yeah. Um, they're actually, they're actually basically, it's a modified antibody mm-hmm. um, that's used as a drug therapy. And it's usually used for people that have um, cancer. So breast cancer okay. is used in leukemias, lymphomas. It's also used in autoimmune diseases like, mm-hmm. um, like rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, so it was very interesting because it was kind of like a, a melding of this basic science that I love so much, mm-hmm. and then also um, kind of bringing in the patient care aspect of it. Yeah, um, and and it was great. I loved it, <laughs> and so it was very exciting. And I, I worked with this a wonderful team of of all women actually. Everybody else in the team, the scientists, were all women, which mm-hmm. was unheard of. Um, and it was a great time. I learned a lot. And then from there, I um, entered into CAR T cell therapy, which again is um, again it's immune therapy and Basically, what we do is we use the patient's healthy cells and their mm-hmm. healthy immune cells to um, create them and to, like, I guess, re-engineer them in a way to target cancer cells. So, okay. this is usually, so yeah, CAR-T is usually used mostly in um, blood-borne cancers, uh, mostly leukemias and lymphomas. And so I did that up until I started med school, and that was also very fascinating and interesting and um, has a, quite a bit of patient impact. And so, and yeah, it was... Of other side of medicine. It is completely other side of medicine. Like, you know, there's a lot of physicians involved in, in that aspect because they are working with patients and who do have to understand um, human physiology and immunology in order to help, you know, design and develop those processes. Mm-hmm. But of course, you're not, you don't have the direct patient contact. You only have patient material that you're working with. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting. And then um, actually one of the therapies that I had um, worked on, one of the assays was used to clear a gene therapy for childhood blindness. Oh, and wow. once, yeah, yeah. So it was actually amazing. I mean, no one ever expects anything to come out of um, their work so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't. But then when um, we started getting clinical trial data back from these patients, and they, a lot of them had restoration of their eyesight, I was, you know, it was kind of like, incredible. A, like, yeah, it was like a light bulb moment, like, wait a minute, I think I'm ready now to, to start thinking about going back now. Um, so those are, that's kind of like what I guess um, propelled me to go back and you know study again, take them cat again, apply again, and that's kind of um, that was that was impetus the second time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that happened within the past two years. I'm assuming. No, no, <laughs> no. It was actually in um, 2016. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So 2016, um, the assay I developed the assay was used during the course of that year and. Um, mm-hmm. the clinical trial, the data came out that year and I should retook the MCAT in 2017. Yeah. I applied that cycle and, um, I got in that cycle, but then I found out I was pregnant. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I, <laughs> I wasn't sure. Changed then. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't sure if I was, I wanted to start medical school, like with a newborn, a mm-hmm. month old baby. So I decided to take a year off and I continued mm-hmm. working, which I think was a great decision. Um, and yeah, now, so I took a year off again before I went to med school and then here I am now. I'm a finally a first year student. My, my daughter is 18 months old mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, 
it's I think I I made the I made the right decision to take that year off. Yeah, that's <laughs> I think. Good. Yeah, because I would I didn't know what to expect in school. I didn't know what to expect being a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want one or the other to suffer because I I and didn't know what I'd be doing. It's not like it you, you can really balance. Um, you have to give each your full attention. Yeah, I mean as much as as much as you can. And being a mother mm-hmm. obviously is is full time. Um, of and course. you know that comes first. Like if I have to study and my daughter needs me or she's sick you know, obviously that has to get put away, yeah. but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard balancing act, mm-hmm. but I mean, I have a lot of help. <laughs> I have That's a good. lot of help. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother-in-law and my husband and my father-in-law and even my husband's grandmother, everybody is very heavily involved and very supportive. So it, that really, 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 really helps because I cannot imagine having no one to help me or no one that would be supportive enough to help me because I don't think it would be possible to um to get through to even get to this point I don't think it would have been possible how important is it to have that strong support system when you are aiming for something like this um I think it's it's incredibly incredibly important mm-hmm. um I think it's incredibly necessary um especially I think someone like me that has a child um that I have a husband he has like his own responsibilities he has his own he has his own career to think about and look, look mm-hmm. after um but then having you know my mother-in-law who's a very supportive she herself went to, to graduate school with three small children so she completely understands you know what position I'm in and she's completely supportive of the fact that this is something that I want to do to um you know explore my potential and meet my potential and she's supportive of that so that really helps because she, she you know I haven't cooked in like over a year she's like don't worry about cooking I'll say yeah I mean so things like things like that make a huge the difference little things. Mm-hmm. yeah and because that that's an hour that I've just saved of my life that I can do something where I can, you know, either study or take care of something else that needs to be taken care of that I don't have to worry about something. So it's it's very very important. Um and we live in a joint family system, so I think that that really helps also because um if I need to do something ASAP, I can kind of hand my daughter over. Yeah. Or if my mother-in-law sees me struggling with something, she's like, "Oh, here, give her to me for a bit." Or if my father-in-law sees me, he's like, "Here, I'll take her for a bit." So mm-hmm. that's very very helpful and um for me, that's been important, but for anyone else that's even in a more traditional situation that's trying mm-hmm. to go to medical school or any sort of higher education or pretty much just trying to do anything in their life, you need a support system. It's very important. Your family is a lifeline. Um, I, I really think so um, because you need someone to give you advice, to give you sound advice. Mm-hmm. You need someone to, you know, tell you, hey, you need to take a break. Like you've just kind of been locked away. Take a break. Yeah. That's very important. Um taking a mental break is very important. So I, I certainly do think having a support system is very important, especially for me. I, I would probably fail med school by now if I didn't have anyone helping me. <laughs> I yeah. think when we speak about female empowerment, we forget that, you know, you do need that support. Um, we speak about female empowerment in terms of a single female um, who is, you know, doing it all. But what's the <sighs> truth to that, you know, doing it all? Um, I... <laughs> I don't think that's, I think that's a very problematic statement mm-hmm. um, that people think. I don't think, yes, certainly you can do it all. I think everyone, like my mother-in-law, she does it all. I've seen it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, my mom used to do it all. I think it's amazing. Um, I am not, I mean, I don't know if people look at me and think I'm doing it all, but I'm not doing it all alone. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'm doing alone, I study and I take my exams. 
and I go to class. Those are the only things I can do effectively on my own. Mm-hmm. Everything else um, I need help with. I need someone, like my husband has modified his schedule. So he does the night shift. Mm-hmm. That way he's home in the mornings while I go to class. Uh, my mother-in-law comes home by five or six, you know, so that she can take her and kind of, you know, feed her dinner and kind of do her thing, play with her. So I have, again, that extra hour or two. So mm-hmm. certainly I think it's possible to do it all, but you need people to help you. Um, I think it's a fallacy to think you can do it all on your own. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have the drive. You have to have the ambition and you have to put in the hard work yourself. No one else can do that for you, but you certainly need ancillary help to help you to do those small things, to give you some of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say I have a lot of other mom friends who don't have family support systems, but they, they have daycares and they have nannies. Um, so even then, like, even if you're the only person, it's just you and your husband and your child or you and your husband and your children, you still need other people to help you mm-hmm. to get through, um, whether that's with daycare or that's with your nanny or, you know, whatever else support system you're using in your life. I think it's not possible to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And that's important to recognize that. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a very important thing to understand and um, differentiate within that. Yeah, um, I mean, we're human and you have yeah, to give yourself a break. Course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so something that I want to delve into a little bit more. Sure. Um, your, your road into medicine was not typical. Is there a typical no. road? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess there is a typical or... road. <laughs> um, so most of my friends that went to medicine, um, they graduated college. Um, maybe some of them took a year off. Not mm-hmm. really. Everyone went straight from college, straight to medical school. My husband went straight from college, straight to medical school. Um, you know, I, I don't really know anyone that's taken off as much time as I have. Um, mm-hmm. I do, there is, there are people in my class that are, you know, much older than me, but then, um, they had other reasons. Like they've had other completely other careers. I mean, people from the military who ended up in medical, medical school, people from mm-hmm. the restaurant business that have ended up in medical school. So I think there's a lot of different paths. The typical path that I think most people in our community take is you go to college, you do well in college, you take your MCAT, you apply, you go to medical school. And that's but pretty It doesn't much, have to be done that way. It doesn't have to be that, done that way. Um, it's, there's a lot of, I guess we're called non-traditional students mm-hmm. that go into medicine who've had other careers and then they come to medicine or who've taken off several years in between and then they come to medicine. Um, and that's perfectly fine. Um, there's people that do research for several years and then they come, there's PhDs in my school that are now in medical school. Um, my husband actually had a, when he was in medical school, there was, I believe, a 50-year-old gentleman who decided to go to medical school. Wow. And yeah, so he was he was in school. He was a classmate of my husband's and he was 50-some years old and he was, you know, com- coming back to school to be a doctor. So I think there's many ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, certainly don't think because I didn't do it the typical way, and I, and I say this with quotation marks because there really is no typical way. It's mm-hmm. the way that works for you. Um, I don't want anyone to think because they're not doing the typical way or because for whatever reason they can't do the typical way, it's not a possible path for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the path to education is always open um, as long as you figure out how you can get to it. Um, and that goes or for any into your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that can, that can go for any, um, educational pathway not just medicine but um, I think the path is always open mm-hmm. you just have to work hard and walk the path and then hopefully inshallah if it's meant to be you'll get there of course yeah um what advice do you have for 
someone who, I mean, someone like yourself, who is in medical school right now, who is studying, who is, um, you know, balancing so much as well. Um, what advice do you have in terms of extracurriculars, in terms of um, things to do to get an, the upper arm? That's, that's actually a really good question, um, especially now with so many different things changing in medical mm-hmm. education and medical training. Um, so I actually do research in my free time. I do a lot of clinical research. Um, and this is just, I basically just emailed all these programs and professors and doctors. And I said, hey, this is my interest. I have time. I'm willing to help you. Is yeah. there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. So I do research. Um, I do clinical research with the radiology department. Um, I do clinical research with a different department. And that's, and honestly, I can do it from home. I just have all the clinical um, information. I have the patient data. It's just writing up reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been great for me because it, it works for my, my situation. I don't have to go somewhere. I don't have to, to leave my child and go somewhere. I can do it from my bed if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would certainly say, um, ask if you, if you are in medical school, if you're a first year or second or any year and you want to do research, you have to just send emails and, and see who responds. Um, mm-hmm. That's the most important thing I would say. And extracurriculars, you don't have to necessarily do, I would say medical volunteering. Like I've continued to volunteer with the programs that I've been with prior to medical school, just because I felt um, it was important for me to maintain that continuity Mm -hmm. as opposed to go off and find something new and just do it a little bit here and there. So I think volunteering is important. Um, And then if you want to get involved in leadership within your medical school, that's great. Um, I don't think it's necessarily necessary, maybe the first year or two. I think the most important thing a first-year medical student can do is learn to be a good medical student. Because if you can figure out your learning style, if you can figure out how to study, and you can figure out how to be a good medical student, everything else will fall into place. If you are not studying properly, if you're not getting the grades you need to be getting, um, everything else doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. So beyond extracurriculars, the first thing is learn to be a good medical student, and then you can kind of figure out what you want to do next to build your resume and to um, uh, make yourself stand out from other candidates. In terms of studying, um, there's <laughs> self-studying, there's lectures, there's um, like going to classes, listening to professors. So what what's the advantages and disadvantages of those and what do you do? So I, so that's a good question actually. So I'm actually in a, um, a special track, an educational track called a PBL track. Mm-hmm. So we meet only as a small eight person, eight student group and we have a facilitator and we go over clinical cases and then we present um, topics to each other, like 10 minute topics to each other every, every time we meet. Um, so that's worked for me. There's no formal lecture. There's no formal lecture giving us, uh, lectures for an hour or two hours or sometimes three hours so I like that because it for me it was an easy transition from going from working from a full-time job to working mm-hmm. as a full-time student basically so I treat my study time as just a full-time job basically so that's worked for me um, I do a lot of Anki Anki is amazing I don't know if anyone else knows about this but I'm sure anyone in medical school will know what Anki is Anki is just a flashcard app and okay. it's just flashcards but it it's amazing <laughs> I do most of my my uh, heavy studying on Anki mm-hmm. um, but most of my time is just self-study that's how I've learned um, so I enjoy that um, I have the the flexibility mm-hmm. my exams are every six to ten weeks depending on the organ system so I also have a lot of time in between exams which yeah. again works for me because I have time to come home and be with my daughter and play with her and you know do all that I'm not studying for an exam every two weeks 
Yeah. And which was very important. Easier for you to manage because you can build your own schedule. Um, in terms uh, that's of exactly when you study like, and what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, most of my studying is done when my daughter is asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so early in the mornings, late at night, during her nap time. That's pretty much when most of my um, heavy studying is done. And when she's awake and she's playing, I'll do my flashcards. Um, or I'll look at stuff and I'll do assignments that are, don't necessarily require too much um, brain power. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, that's worked out. And then I think, again, the most important thing is just figuring out your learning style. Everyone's learning mm-hmm. style is different. Um, some people need the lecture. They need that. They need that like disciplined mm-hmm. schedule to keep them on track. Um, I was just going to say it takes a lot of discipline for you to be able to, you know, wake up maybe six or seven a.m. and then like really put your mindset into yeah, yeah. study mode um, it, and then yeah, because, later on in the night you know it's like switching between modes you know it, it, it is there's a lot of switching <laughs> between modes um so how do you do that honestly I wake up in the morning and I'm just in my my I actually study in bed in the morning because if I, if I get up out of bed she'll wake up mm-hmm. so I can't get out of bed I study you know with her she's sleeping um in our bed I study and I get up and I go to class and I come back and it's it's her nap time she goes to nap, she takes a nap and then I'm studying again. Um, it's, it's a lot of self-discipline. Sometimes I want to just sit there and watch TV <laughs> or, you know, go and on Facebook for an extended period of time, but, um, or just continue you know, your sleep. Yeah. Or just take a nap. I actually, I take a nap with her sometimes. I'm so mm-hmm. tired. Um, but you do have to have self-discipline just to be like, you know, I need to do this now because I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this later having a child really your time can be regimented but sometimes they get sick and Mm -hmm. then sometimes you can't study or sometimes they just want to play for an extra hour and you also want to play for an extra hour so um, when I have time I make sure that I use it Mm -hmm. so that when I have time later I don't necessarily always have to be studying I can do something else (laughs) yeah so how do you train yourself to get into that uh, mindset of having that self-discipline where does that come from Um, so I'm going to be really honest. I'm mm-hmm. actually not a very self-disciplined person. I've never <laughs> been. <laughs> no, um, I, I could sit and watch TV or binge on a show for eight hours if, mm-hmm. if I let myself do it. Can't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, seriously. Like, it's so easy to do that, right? Um, I think for me, this is probably something maybe it doesn't, not necessarily education or um, career related, but when we were younger and we were growing up, our mom was very particular about making sure we woke up to pray Fajr every day. Mm-hmm. Um, she would initially she would wake us up, and then later on it just became our own habit. Um, mm-hmm. Full disclosure, it's much more difficult to do that now because it's hard. If I get out of bed, she wakes up, so I kind mm-hmm. of have to finagle, you know, how I do it. But um, I think growing up having uh, our mom and our dad even like for later from Maghrib and Isha prayers instill a discipline and like this is the time to pray you have to pray or you should go and pray, or maybe it's better if you go and pray. I think that was really important because that translated to so many other areas of our life. Um, so I, I think that was kind of where my self-discipline came from or comes from. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, like, okay, it's Maghrib time. Let's turn the TV off. You know, let's, let's whatever's happening, turn it off, go pray Maghrib and then do whatever you need to do. Um, you know, or even like Fudger, it's so cold in the morning. I don't, I don't want to get a bed. I grew up in Chicago. So it was, usually very very cold in the morning yeah. mm-hmm. um but then it was like no I know you don't want to get out of bed but you'll you'll feel better once you pray and then you can do whatever else you want to do mm-hmm. so I think um actually yeah that that's I think where our self-discipline comes from that's my sister's amazing. the same way um she's mm-hmm. actually much much more better about it than I am <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, so I think that is where my self-discipline came from. So when I know it's time to study, it's time to study. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important because I'm trying to achieve a goal and you can't, you can't somewhere unless you're willing to do that. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of where, yeah, that's where I learned my self-discipline. And even now when I think, Oh, I don't want to study. I don't want to do this right now. I think, okay, but you know what? Come on, you should do it. Mm-hmm. You pull <laughs> so, yourself out of that mindset that I don't want to do it. I don't feel like, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because sometimes you don't want to do anything. You don't want to do something, but when you look at the the larger picture and you look at the the long term benefits, mm-hmm. I think if you keep your if you if you keep your mind always looking forward and always looking at, um, you know, to, a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now, you're going to make I think a better decision than you would just thinking a day from now or yeah. like two days from now. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, we've come to the end of our show, but before <laughs> yeah. we end, it went yeah. by so quickly. Uh, <laughs> what's the one message that you want to give Ooh. to inspire the next generation? This is probably the hardest question of the show. <laughs> this is this is a very hard question. Um, a message to inspire. I would say, expo- if you if you enjoy something, explore it. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even know I liked science until I first started getting into it, and I and I continue to explore it. So definitely, if you like something, explore it. Don't let um, expectations like societal expectations or community expectations dictate what you think is interesting what's not interesting mm-hmm. so certainly explore what you like and what you enjoy um, you're more likely to be successful doing that than something that you're forced to do or you feel you have to do um, with that I, the caveat I would say is just ensure that whatever it is you're doing whether it's your education or your career or the friends you choose and the places you go mm-hmm. um, just make sure that you're not having to compromise your, um, like your faith, your Islamic morals or your faith in doing so. Um, it's very much possible to be very successful and to be um, doing things that maybe you think are not possible if you're quote unquote too Muslim or if you're quote unquote too practicing. Mm-hmm. Not true at all. Um, you can do whatever it is you want to do within the bounds of Islam and the, within, the, within, the, within the rules established by Islam. Um, but that's what I would say, explore what you like, explore what you want to do, what you're good at, but then make sure that you're always maintaining that, um, the Islamic mm-hmm. faith and the boundaries prescribed by Islam. Yeah. That's such invaluable advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're very welcome. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. You were just listening to the Umentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the Umentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? If you want to reach out to any of our speakers, either today's speaker or previous speakers we've had on the show, visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups, or just visit the Umentor website and hit the link for online platform. And don't forget, this year's Emoji Games 2020 are held in Richmond on July 3rd to 5th. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. to hear from our next guest.